0: welcome to Visual Novel Radio. My name is Ive and here at VNR I talk about visual novels independent of age and fame. There are many wonderful stories out there waiting to be experienced, but finding them is often not easy. I read a lot of visual novels and sometimes stumble upon rare gems that I believe should be shared. In this podcast I invite you to join me on a fantastic journey into a world that you may not have discovered yet. In this episode, I will talk about Summer Pockets. Summer Pockets is a slice-of-life visual novel developed by Key and published by Visual Arts in 2018. The game received an official English translation in early 2020. The story follows a high school boy named Takahara Hairi on his visit to the island of Torishirojima. He received an invitation from his aunt to spend his summer break there and help her with some household organization, following his grandmother's recent passing. During his summer break, he gets involved in the lives of various island residents and discovers more about the place, as well as a few things about himself. I saw this game first on the R Visual Novel subreddit sometime in late 2019. Being a visual novel by Key, I immediately became interested and saw that there was an official English translation in development. The group responsible for that was Alka Translations, which is an independent community of people who translate visual novels that would likely never get a western release. Before the patch was completed, however, Key had released an official English version of the game. I headed over to Steam before coming to my senses and looking up other, preferably uncensored and DRM-free releases. Unfortunately, the game was only available on Steam, but since it was unedited, I decided to make an exception. Summer Pocket starts out with the main protagonist Takahara Heidi coming to the island of Torishirojima. The island's name roughly translates to Island of White Birds. Once he gets off the boat, he heads to the residence of his aunt Kyoko Kato and his late grandmothers. He meets Kyoko for the first time in his life and also gets introduced to a younger girl with pink hair named Umi. She is a relative's daughter, whose personality is somewhat dictated by the choices of the player. Heidi and Umi get along well soon enough and occasionally do activities together. Since Kyoko's cooking is, in her own description, unique, Heidi and Umi usually cook for themselves, with the most common dish being fried rice, which Umi always tries to make differently. Already in the beginning Heidi has various run-ins with the female main characters. These go well occasionally, but in some cases end in embarrassing misunderstandings. There are 6 routes in total in the game, 4 of them being character routes with the main heroines. The other two are for story progression and lead to the true ending. They are unlocked one by one once the player completes all character routes. Technically, the order of the routes does not matter, but there is a recommended order in which they should be completed, so that the story remains consistent as it progresses. A curious feature that Key implemented is, that after the completion of the first route, the game offers the player to skip the common route. While this can come in handy, it takes away some of the mystery of the story, as some dialogue changes in the common route once a character route has been completed. While these changes do not impact the story, they certainly contribute to the overall flair of the narrative and make the true ending so much more rewarding. The four main heroines have different circumstances as to why they are on the island. Apart from them, there are a variety of interesting side characters with their own backstories. During the common route, the player can decide where to go on an interactive map of the island. Not every location is available at each time, so there is an element of gameplay involved here. The presence of characters is marked clearly on the map, which makes the route choices obvious. The player only needs to follow a certain character to eventually end up in their route. Other points are also sometimes marked with side characters for special events or mini-games, and the rest is only labelled with exclamation marks. By being at the right place at the right time, the player can earn so-called records. These act as in-game collectibles and have no influence on the story. Once the player has interacted with one of the main heroines a certain number of times, they become locked into their route. From here on out, there are no considerable choices to make anymore. Please be aware, that this episode contains spoilers for the whole game, including the true ending. After looking up a guide, I started with the recommended route order and focused on the first heroine named Naruse Shiroha. Heidi meets Shiroha for the first time late at night at the elementary school swimming pool of the island. He is riding on his motorcycle, an old Honda Super Cup that he borrowed from his aunt, as he is curiously drawn to the pool due having a history in competitive swimming albeit not a pleasant one, as he is afraid of being in the water since then. Once he gets closer, he suddenly hears a loud splash and notices a girl wearing a bikini in the water. She glares at him dubiously and he has to clarify that he is not a stalker, which she luckily believes, but their meeting does not end on a happy note. They do however introduce themselves and Heidi sets out to meet Shirohai again to have a proper talk. Over the next few days, he meets her quite often and finds her easy enough every time, despite her efforts to isolate herself from others. After a while, their conversations become friendlier and Shiraha relaxes more around him, but eventually she tries again to break off all contact with him. After Heidi firmly inquires about why she suddenly hates him, she explains that he is misunderstanding the situation and that she doesn't want him to get hurt. Shiroha tells him about a curse that runs in her family and about a traumatic event in her childhood. She can see the future and has also seen her own death, along with someone she holds dear, drowning in the sea at night. That was also her reason to practice swimming late at night in the shallow pool. Thinking that he will not take her seriously, she tries to run away, but Heidi stops her and promises that he will do all he can to help her avoid that fate. At the end of the summer ceremony, Shiroha plays the leading role in the celebration as a shrine maiden on a boat. Heidi and some of their friends accompany her and are fully prepared for everything that can go wrong. Expecting the worst, they perform the ceremony, but nothing out of the ordinary happens. They return to the shore and Shiroha almost relaxes a bit, believing her vision may have been wrong, when they notice that a young girl from the elementary school group called Hota is missing. In the ceremony, children make lanterns and let them float out to the sea as a guide for the souls of the dead to find their way. The crowd of lanterns is led by a wooden boat with a little shrine on it. Hota didn't want to make a lantern for her recently deceased mother, but Heidi convinced her that it is the right thing to do and the girl warmed up to him rather quickly. Shiroha and Heidi suspect the worst. They believe that Hota wanted to follow her mother and hid on that little wooden boat that is now being trashed around in the waves in the upcoming storm. The coast guard refuses to go out in the storm as they have no proof that the girl is on the boat, but Hairi and Shiroha get help from a friend of theirs and head out into the waves. They find it and discover that Hota is really on board. After saving her, Shiroha falls into the water and threatens to drown, but Hairi, despite his fear of water, jumps in and rescues her. With everyone being safe and healthy in the end, Shiroha and Hairi finally get together, even if it is in an awkward way. The following day Hayri boards the ferry to the mainland, while Shiroha and their friends see him off at the harbor. As the ship leaves the port, he shouts to Shiroha that he loves her, and she replies the same. The engines growl loudly for a moment and go quiet shortly after that, making room for an onboard announcement. The ferry will be returning to Torishirojima harbour due to technical issues. Heidi's and Shiroha's faces grow pale, having their romantic farewell interrupted and their long-awaited reunion pushed forward way ahead of schedule. Their friends, however, find the scene hilarious and shove them playfully together for a group picture, thus ending the first route. While I was a little disappointed with the lack of romance and the rather quick resolution of Shiroha's route, I reminded myself that this was just the beginning and restarted the game with the goal of the next route, Tsumugi. During his exploration on the island, Heidi finds an old lighthouse and gets closer. He notices a girl sitting on the top outside of the railing. She hums a particular tune that he does not recognize and she also doesn't seem to notice him until he calls out to her. After a short pleasant conversation, he asks her to climb behind the railing, being concerned for her safety. She agrees and comes down where they continue their lively chat. The girl introduces herself as Tsumugi Wenders and explains that she is looking for something. Trying to help her, Heidi helps her search the area and around the lighthouse and the find stuffed animals and various pieces of junk washed up on the shore. Tsumugi collects the stuffed animals and gives them names, thinking of them as her friends. The thing she was searching for is not among them, and it starts to get dark, so they say goodbye for the day and go home. Over the course of the following days Heidi goes to the lighthouse a lot and interacts more with Tsumugi. She seems absolutely carefree and is happy to enjoy every moment. During one of their talks, she even gets the idea of building a balcony in the lighthouse made out of Pringles containers, called Pringles in the game, likely for copyright reasons. Airi goes along with her weird idea, as long as she is happy, and helps her find some Pringles cans. On his search, he meets another girl called Mizuori Shizuku, who turns out to be Tsunugi's best friend, which he mentioned a few days earlier. The three get along very well and spend many enjoyable moments together at the lighthouse. One day, Shizuku and Tsumugi start to wonder about the melody she always hums. None of them know it or have heard it before, so they ask their friends and other people on the island about it. During the search, Heidi comes across an old faded and cracked photograph in his grandmother's storage shed. It shows a young girl in a kimono, which looks very much like Tsumugi. In fact, after inspecting the picture further, he has no doubts anymore that this IS Tsumugi just a bit younger. With a bad feeling in his stomach, he decides to keep the picture a secret for now, fearing that something bad may happen if Tsumugi sees it. Later, he accidentally drops it in front of Shizuku, and she shares his suspicion after seeing it. After some time, it becomes clear that Tsumugi and Hairi will leave the island once the summer break is over. This leaves a deep sadness in all of them, but Heidi does not want them to spend their remaining days together in depressed silence. He decides that together with Shizuku, they will create amazing memories and experiences to last Tsumugi a lifetime once summer break is over. With many helping hands of their friends, they accomplish amazing things and make even some summer dreams come true, but eventually Tsumugi disappears without a trace. They look all over the island for her, but cannot find her. Heidi and Shizuku decide to go back to the lighthouse and wait there. Tsumugi shows up the next day by coming out of the lighthouse, which was certainly unoccupied before. She apologizes tearfully and gets welcomed back by her friends, who by that time have found out more about Tsumugi Wenders. They know at this point that the girl before them is not her, but it does not change their feelings towards her. Sumugi and Heidi eventually fall in love and Heidi discovers the truth about her in a magical way. He walks up the stairs in the lighthouse and finds an endless staircase in the small building that leads to a field of flowers. On the way he meets the girl from the picture, the real Tsumogi Wenders. She explains to him that she is lost in this place and cannot leave until she finds what she is looking for. With her help, he manages to leave the lighthouse and come back to the real world. On the last day of summer break, the group of friends performs the last miracle for the new pair by celebrating 100 birthdays for Tsumugi with an unbelievable number of candles placed and lit before the lighthouse. The pair walks along a path through the miniature forest of flickering lights, holding hands, and Tsumugi explains who she is and why she needs to return. The real Tsumugi Wenders has a collection of friends, which are just stuffed animals. She came to this world as a stand-in for Tsumugi, to help her find what she seeks. After falling in love with Heidi, she believes she has found it and must return to her, so the girl can find her own happiness. After singing her song one more time, Tsumugi vanishes. Heidi's hand, which was holding hers, is now gripping the arm of a stuffed teddy bear. The next day, after saying goodbye to Shizuku and the others, Heidi leaves the island and promises to return one day to find the girl at the lighthouse again. After the credits roll, a scene with the real Tsumugi and her friend happens. Sumugi thanks her for everything, and her friend promises to be by her side forever. Tsumugi, however, makes it clear that she does not belong with her anymore and convinces her to return to the lighthouse, thus ending Tsumugi's route and fading back to the title menu. After finishing Tsumugi's route, I had to take a break from the game for the rest of the day. It felt like I had gotten my well-deserved punishment for doubting the game's writing. Occasionally I would remember scenes and music tracks from the route and just had to stop what I was doing for a minute to gather myself. The emotional impact that this route had was so hard and unexpected that I foolishly believed that this would be the highlight of the game. Never in my life have I been so wrong. About 3 days later, I picked the game back up again and proceeded to read the next route. Ow. As Heidi walks along a road on the island without a particular goal, he notices a girl on the side of the road, leaning against a tree, sleeping. He makes his way over to her while admiring the innocence of the countryside to check if she is alright. As he closes in, he sees a blue colored critter curled up next to her, also asleep. Having confirmed that the girl is just sleeping, he wants to turn around and leave, but notices her shifting in her sleep and threatening to fall to the ground. Heidi reacts reflexively and catches her gently in his arms. The girl wakes up at that moment and still seems half asleep as she whispers to him, please start out gently. A bit flustered, Heidi's response is a joking question, asking if he can get rougher later on. That's when she fully wakes up and literally jumps back in surprise. A shock, scream and a short argument later, Heidi manages to clear up the situation. They don't talk much after that, because the girl rushes off to her part-time job and the critter gets up and follows her. Without even having learned her name, Heidi goes back to his temporary home at his aunt's residence. The next day he meets the girl again at the candy store in the small town on the island. She's working part-time at the store to help out the owner, who is an old woman. They introduce themselves to each other and he learns that her name is Sorakado Ao. Beyond that, she seems very friendly and forthcoming with advice without ever revealing much about herself. They meet almost each day and more often than not, Heidi finds Ao dozing off somewhere. Every time he inquires about her sleep schedule, she becomes evasive and avoids the subject almost at all costs. Through some side characters, Heidi learns that Ao is indeed hiding something, but they leave it up to her to tell him if and when she wants to. One night he notices a light on the mountain nearby that moves through the trees in the forest. He gets out of bed and walks through the forest roughly in that direction. While looking for the source of the mysterious light, he encounters a glowing butterfly that flaps slowly towards him. Thoroughly entranced, he gets closer to it and even touches it with the tip of his finger. In that moment, the world around him disappears. His reality changes completely and he feels like he is in a dream, watching events happen through somebody else's eyes. It is a sad dream, full of agony. The man whose world he is observing has lost all hope and is heading towards his own death by suicide. In the last moment before the man's death, Heidi hears shouting and feels someone grip his arm from behind. At that moment, he wakes up and returns to his own reality, only to find himself on a steep cliff with one foot over the edge. Someone is talking to him and holding him from behind. Heidi recognizes the voice belonging to Ao. She helps him get his footing back to safety and they move away from the edge of the cliff. After reprimanding him quite a bit, Ao questions him about what he is doing on the mountain in the night and why he almost killed himself. He explains about the glowing butterfly and the dream he saw. Expecting her not to believe him, Heidi is surprised at her understanding and she even explains the events to him. The glowing butterflies are called Shijieju. The name literally translates to Seven Shadow Butterfly. They are not actually insects, but the manifestations of memories people lost as they passed on. During summer, while the flowers bloom on the mountaintop, the Shichiecho flutter through the forest and even through the towns in search of their destination. The tree at the mountain's peak. Only very few people can actually see them while they appear invisible to everybody else. The Sorakado family has guided the Shichiecho to the mountaintop for generations during summer. While the rest of the island sees Ao's task only as a tradition, Heidi learns through this last experience that it is in fact a reality. Ao also tells him that her task does not require to touch Ichiecho, but she is looking for a certain memory that is very dear to her and must find it no matter what. She does not tell him any more details, but Heidi insists on accompanying her from now on just to be there in case she needs help. She reluctantly agrees and they continue together in the following nights. Through the combination of a slip-up on Ao's side and the cooperation of a side character, Heidi learns that Ao has an older sister called Ai. Ai has been in a coma for 10 years and shows no sign of waking up, even though her vitals are good. He also learns that Ao feels responsible for Ai's accident in the past. After that discovery, Heidi understands why Ao is putting herself in such danger every night and continues helping her to find ice memories. To find out more about the Shichiejo, he looks through the old books in his grandmother's storage shed and finds one about the topic, albeit in ancient Japanese. His aunt translates it for him in a few days and through that book he learns a terrible secret. When the brain absorbs a memory from someone else, It takes a longer time to process it, causing the recipient to require more sleep than usual, as the processing happens during that time. Ao has absorbed so many memories over the last 10 years, that he starts worrying about her and tries to get her to stop, if at least for a while. He almost gets her to do it, when Ai's condition suddenly takes a turn for the worse. Her heart stops for a short time, but the doctors manage to stabilize her. Without a guarantee that she will live much longer, Ao becomes more determined than ever to find Ai's Shijiejo. Ao goes back to the mountain and absorbs even more memories than she used to in the nights before. She allows herself no rest and Heidi has to force her occasionally to take a 10-minute break. He promised her to not touch any Shijiejo anymore, but over the past few nights he saw a particular butterfly with a weak light that seemed to avoid him and Ao. One night he sees that butterfly again and touches it, actually finding Ai's memories in it. Ao is not able to see the situation and Heidi manages to lure it with the help of Ao's lantern to the hospital up to Ai's room. The butterfly makes contact with Ai and gets absorbed by her, prompting her to wake up only minutes afterwards. Ao is overjoyed and life goes back to normal over the next few days. Heidi and Ao get together officially and for a short time the future looks bright when Ao suddenly falls asleep and does not wake up anymore. She is taken to the hospital and shares a room with her sister who is doing better each day but still cannot move her body. Heidi visits every day and waits for Ao to wake up. After one week she does and tells him that she is fine now and asks him only to help her get to the tree on the top of the mountain to perform the last task of her duty. Since Ao is in a weak state, having slept so long, she asks Heidi to carry her. He agrees and they make their way to the peak. On the way Heidi notices that Ao is not very responsive and spaces out more frequently. She denies it at first, but eventually confesses that it is very hard for her to stay awake. As Heiri turns around, he sees a multitude of Shijiejo leaving her body and fluttering towards the sky. Fearing the worst, he makes haste to the peak and as he arrives, Ao is so weak that she can barely keep her eyes open. An even larger swarm of Shichiejo pours from her body and she gets lifted into the air surrounded by a glowing light. The flowers around the tree start to wither, signaling the end of summer and with it, the end of the Shichiejo's journey. The butterflies fly too high for him to touch, but the last Shichiejo leaving her body flutters lower, as if to say goodbye. He jumps as hard as he can and manages to touch it with his fingertips for an instant. He sees all of Ao's happy memories with him and her sister, accompanied by a few parting words. With this, all the butterflies vanish and Ao's body falls asleep. He carries her back to the hospital and soon has to leave the island, promising the sleeping Owl to return as often as possible to be by her side when she wakes up. Ao's route ends very much like it started, with her sleeping and Heidi watching over her. It is a tale of self-sacrifice and family love like no other. Ao has fulfilled her duty and her promise with a future yet to be determined. The post credit scene leaves the reader with a bit of hope for a reunion of the two lovers. Again, I let a few days pass to give myself some time to digest the events in Ao's route. At this point, a major new component of the story was revealed, being one of the first secrets of the island. I allowed myself to take a guess where the story would be going, based on my previous experiences with these kind of VNs, but I was still hoping to be surprised by the actual outcome. I certainly was, and that already on the next route. Kamome. While walking around the island aimlessly Heidi meets a girl in a dark blue dress on the road, pulling a large suitcase behind her. In her marine blue hair is a hair clip in the shape of a skull with two crossed bones below it. Despite that appearance, the girl is immediately very friendly and asks Heidi right off the bat to push her suitcase along while she rides on top of it. Being a bit confused, he just makes a statement on how that seems dangerous but the girl is not concerned about that, and Heidi humbles her request. They make some friendly small talk while they walk through the summer heat, and the girl introduces herself as Kushima Kamome. The name Kamome is somewhat unusual and means seagull, which she is aware of, and even makes odd jokes about it occasionally. On a downhill part of the road, they run too fast into a corner and go flying over the guardrail into the ocean. Since nobody got hurt, they have a good laugh about it, and go their separate ways after that. A day later, Heidi meets Kamome again in town, where she seems to wait for someone. As she sees him, she immediately walks over to him and asks if he wants to join her on an adventure. Despite his lack of motivation, Heidi agrees and follows her to their destination, the elementary school. The school is closed during summer vacation, but they break in by climbing over the roof near the swimming pool. He helps Kamome to get her suitcase over as well, which she still pulls along wherever she goes. When he inquires about its contents, she just answers that it is a secret, but the suitcase feels very light, as if it's almost empty. They reach the attic of the school building and Kamome finds what she is looking for. It's a small chest, wrapped in chains, with four different locks holding them together. She tells Heidi about an adventure she had with a group of friends ten years ago, where they found the island's treasure. They locked the treasure in this chest and hid the keys in various places around the island, and promised each other, as their summer break was coming to an end, that they would meet up again in ten years to find the treasure again. None of her friends have shown up yet on the island but she is not too upset about it, figuring that a silly childhood promise would most likely be forgotten. She instead asks Heidi to help her to find the keys. Getting a stern look from Kamome after suggesting to just break the locks open, he agrees to help her out. She shows him an old notebook containing clues about the whereabouts of the four keys. Each location is described in a cryptic message, but Heidi figures most of them out by himself and only occasionally needs Kamame's help. It takes them only a few days to find all the keys, but during that time, Heidi has vivid dreams about Kamame's group of friends. It's as if he remembers being there together with them, even though he is sure that he has never experienced such a summer vacation. He eventually meets up with Kamame again, and they finally open the chest. Knowing that it was a children's treasure Heidi did not expect much, but he couldn't help being excited nonetheless. The treasure however turned out to be a piece of paper. A map to a secluded part of the island where the real treasure would lie. Kamome keeps him in the dark about it, until he finds out that that part of the island marked by the map is an old quarry that has been closed off. Going there has been prohibited since the area is dangerous and on top of everything, private property. Kamome still wants to go, but Heidi pressures her to reveal the secret before agreeing to join on a possibly life-threatening undertaking. She has no choice but to give in and tell him what her group of friends found. It was a real-life pirate ship. After consulting some of his friends and relatives about the quarry, it is made very clear to him that he should not go there at any cost. The danger is too great, because in case anything happened, they would not be getting any help due to the lockdown of the area. Heidi is almost thinking about rejecting Kamome's idea of going there completely, but the night before he would see her again, he has another dream. Kamame and her group of friends are on their journey through the quarry and almost get lost on their way. Again, he wakes up with the sensation of having remembered something from his past, rather than having had a dream. He decides, in the spur of the moment, to finish the journey with Kamome and heads out to meet her. Hearing that, she is overjoyed with the news that he will help her, and they develop a plan to acquire all necessary equipment and sneak out one morning under false pretenses. They head to the quarry unnoticed and, after some trouble finding the way, arrive at a cave that is mentioned on the map. Since it is getting dark, they decide to make camp there and head into the cave first thing in the morning. The following night Heidi has another dream about Kamome's group. This time they are at the same location at night before they head into the cave. He is seeing the events from the perspective of another character in the group called Taka. In the dream they all sleep around the campfire as he hears quiet moaning and sniffling noises from nearby. He follows them to find a young kamame who is gripping her leg and trying to suppress the fact that she is in obvious pain. On the journey to the cave she fell behind many times but told everyone that she just couldn't walk as fast as they could while she still pulled her suitcase along. Knowing the reason now, Taka confronts kamo about it and she confesses that her leg hurts quite often due to an illness. She recovers after some time, but she needs her suitcase as she uses it as a crutch. She pleads with him to keep this a secret from the others, which she agrees to, under the condition that she tells him when she is in pain again. Heidi wakes up in the morning with an ominous feeling, Kamome is gone, but left her suitcase and tent behind. After getting up, he starts to look for her and finds her bathing in a nearby river, accidentally catching a glimpse of her half-naked. A scare and a scolding from her later, he apologizes, but Kamome, despite her anger, does not seem to be bothered by it. After breakfast, they pack up the camp and head into the cave. The inside is so dark that they need a flashlight to find the way, but they manage to spot the small crevice marked on the map and head in deeper. Kamome walks behind Heidi, while he goes on ahead illuminating the area. At some point he remembers the dream he had and turns around to her, asking her out of the blue if her leg is okay. Her eyes widen and she freezes in her tracks, having hit the nail on the head. Heidi waits for her response and she indeed confesses that she has been in pain for a while after they entered the cave. When she asks how he knew about it, he does not mention the dream but makes it seem like he just guessed it. They take a break so that Kamome can recover a bit and she indeed feels better after a few minutes of rest. As they venture further, the flashlight goes out and they get stuck in the darkness. Kamome tries to fish out some new batteries from her backpack, but drops them in the process. They try to keep going in the darkness, but stumble and slide down a slope into a small stream. Following it, they see a light and manage to find their way out of the cave, losing only some supplies and Kamome's suitcase. As they leave the cave, they are greeted by an incredible sight. The exit leads to a small cove looking out towards the ocean with a small strip of sandy beach. Before their eyes, a large object manifests against the sunlight, taking the form of a ship. The surprise about the island's secret being real is short lived. There is a boat, but it is not a pirate ship. Instead, it is just a regular abandoned sailboat and nothing else. Heidi did not really expect an undiscovered pirate ship but he can't help being disappointed nonetheless. As he turns to Kamumi, he sees the defeat in her eyes. Her only words after that are that she remembers now and has to go. She tells Heidi to find her suitcase and look inside, as this is where her real self will be. With those words, the girl vanishes into thin air, leaving only a glowing butterfly behind. Several days pass and there is no sign of Kamome. Heidi checked with almost everybody in the island and his friends helped him in the search as well. They do manage to find the suitcase, however, and he remembers Kamome's words. The real me is in there. Not entirely certain if he wants to know the truth anymore, he forces himself to open the suitcase. Inside, he finds an old worn-out book titled Kamome and the Catbeard Brigade. He immediately recognizes it as a children's book he read about 10 years ago. It is a story about a girl with a suitcase, called the unusual name Kamome, and her group of friends who go out on an adventure to find a pirate ship, after Kamome discovers a map in her father's desk drawer. They journey to a secluded part of the island, where they spend their summer vacation and find a cave. Inside, their flashlight goes out, and they get washed away by a small stream into a cove, where they discover the ship. Heidi is lost for words. The contents of the book make it appear as if he was dreaming about Kamame all the time, and that none of the events of the previous days actually happened. But that is not the case. His friends and relatives all remember the girl with the suitcase, which assures him that he didn't imagine the adventure. After enlisting a particular person's help, Heidi finds out that the private property belongs to a company that started a project on the island about two years ago, but abandoned it for unknown reasons. He learns that a relative of the company's CEO lives on a small neighboring island close by, which is also private property. Borrowing a jet ski, he takes the suitcase with the book and heads out to that place. Upon arriving, he finds a house there with a lone woman sitting on the porch. Her eyes go wide in surprise as she sees Heidi approaching, but immediately calms down as she notices the suitcase. They introduce each other and he learns that her last name is Kushima, and also that she is Kamame's mother. But the real surprise follows after that. As he asks about the suitcase in the book, she tells him that she is the author of it and that she wrote it for her daughter, who has been hospitalized since her early childhood. Kamome has a rare illness that forces her to sleep most of the time. She was getting better after a while, but has had a relapse roughly two years ago and is in a special hospital in Finland since then, sleeping all the while. It was always her dream to go on a summer adventure with friends and discover a secret on the island, so her mother wrote Kamome and the Cat Pit Brigade for her based on her ideas the book became an immense success with young children. As time went on and Kamome recovered slowly, she said that she wanted the adventure in the book to become reality and have all children who read it experience it 10 years after its release. The reason for the 10 years was simply that she wanted to give herself enough time to finish it. Her father was mostly busy with the company so her mother helped her with everything she had to make the dream come true. The company owned a part of the island which it didn't use anymore containing a quarry, therefore making it the perfect place to recreate the adventure. They even organized an old sailboat, which they wanted to remodel to look like a pirate ship, and made preparations to ensure the safety in the cave by hanging lights along the path and closing all dangerous passages. But before they could finish, calm condition worsened, and she had to be hospitalized again. She also tells Heidi that Kamome will likely not wake up anymore. Before he says goodbye and leaves the small island, she gives him the key to the boat's pilot house and tells him to look inside. He gets on the jet ski and rides to the cove with the ship. Unlocking the pilot house, he is greeted with stacks of papers which, on closer inspection, he notices to be letters. Randomly reading some of them, he discovers that they are fan letters to Mrs. Kushima and Kamome herself about the book. Thousands of children's letters fill the small pilot house expressing their feelings about the story. A certain blue envelope catches his eye, and upon opening it, Heidi finds his own letter which he wrote 10 years ago and completely forgot about it. All those children were promised a glimpse of the real adventure in ten years time. Like him, most of them had likely forgotten about it, but after hearing Kamom's story, Heidi becomes determined to finish what she started and make her dream a reality. He returns to the small island and asks Kamom's mother for permission to do exactly that. She shares his sentiment and helps him as much as she can. He also enlists the help of his friends, who finish the work in less than two weeks, even including the pirate ship. In the meantime Heidi has written replies to each and every letter inviting the recipients to the island before the end of summer. On the last day of summer break he waits at the harbour for the ferry and is surprised that a lot of young people actually came. They retread the steps of the adventure just like Kamame has planned and live out an unforgettable summer fulfilling the girl's dream. As he stands on the pirate ship looking out towards the ocean, Kamame appears next to him and thanks him for everything. He confesses his love to her and she smiles sweetly as her body slowly fades into nothing, until just a glowing butterfly remains, fluttering slowly towards the sky. A picture of Kamame's Catbeard Brigade with Heidi in it brings her route to an end. While Chamomé's route was not directly tied to the main story, it left the strongest impression on me. Her beautiful dream of having an adventure with friends in the summer was so simple and innocent, yet still impossible for her. As Heidi goes to enormous lengths to fulfill her wish, her life becomes complete and she can leave without regrets. This concludes the four character routes, leaving only the main story's progression. The next route is simply titled Alka, and starts directly from the main menu, without any significant choices. The Alka route begins exactly like all others with Hairi coming to the island of Jima by ferry. He gets off the ship, meets the same people and even has the same dialogue most of the time. The only real significant change is Umi-chan. During the character routes there are several segments with Umi, but none of them have any influence on the story. She is usually reserved and even partially hostile sometimes to Heidi, but she never means him any harm or ill intent. Through the route progressions, she becomes friendlier each time and seems to become more and more attached to Heidi. As he arrives at the Kato residence, Umi thinks of him as her big brother and even calls him on Ichan. Heidi spends his time mostly with her as they go to various places on the island or simply cook fried rice together. Umi-chan tries to cook it herself, but is never satisfied with the results as she is looking for a very particular taste that she just cannot get right. As Umi gets more and more depressed, Haeri looks for ways to cheer her up, but nothing seems to work. Eventually she opens up to him and tells him that she wants to spend the summer with mom and dad. After asking his aunt Kyoko about her parents, she tells him that her mother passed away while her father is still alive, but barely around anymore. Trying to do his best, he offers Umi-chan to be her father for the summer. The girl is overjoyed by that, but she still wants a mother to accompany them. Heidi sets out to find someone to play the role of Umi's mom, but nobody on the island agrees to it. On his first night on the island, Haeri had the same running with Shiroha at the school swimming pool as in her route. She therefore still resents him, but due to previous interactions with her, Umi-chan is very fond of her. He decides to ask her one more time to play Umi-chan's mother, just for the girl's sake. Because she likes Umi, she reluctantly agrees, but sets certain boundaries. The next day, Shiroha shows up at the Kato residence and is immediately met with childlike eyes full of happiness from Umi-chan. Over the next two days they essentially play house together, but they quickly run out of things to do. Hairi comes up with an idea and buys Umi a diary book telling her to draw the future into it. Shiroha does not understand it at first, but Hairi explains to her in private that they can use the drawings in Umi's diary to find out what it is that would make her happy. Finding it a wonderful idea, she agrees to go along with it a little longer for Umi-chan's sake. Over the course of the following days, Umi creates many diary entries on what she wants to do with her mom and dad. She writes in past tense, just like Heidi instructed her, but also states minor details and even the weather days in advance. Her wishes are sometimes easier and sometimes harder to fulfill, but they manage it every time. After a few days, Heidi notices that the weather has been exactly like Umi-chan wrote in her diary. Even the days where the forecast was not mentioning any rain, it rained when it was written down in the book. Heidi becomes suspicious and asks Umi about it, who shuts off and takes out the letter which she always reads when she is feeling sad. Encompassed is a photograph. Asking if he could see it, she hesitates a bit, but eventually shows Heidi the picture. His eyes go wide as he looks at it. It shows him and Shiroha surrounded by all their friends at the Torishirojima Harbor, hugging each other awkwardly. As the player, one notices that it is the same picture that was taken at the end of Shiroha's route. Heidi naturally does not know the origin of this picture and is beyond stunned. Umi does not tell him any more about it, but he realizes that she has likely come from the future and is his and Shiroha's actual daughter. Not being able to imagine what kind of person he becomes in the future, his determination grows even stronger to make this summer unforgettable for Omi. As they continue to fulfill Omi-chan's diary, strange things start to happen. Omi appears to mentally revert back to a child each day further, and Heidi starts seeing visions of events that he has not seen happen, although they happened in other rules. Shiroha also sees visions, prompting her to find out the truth about Umi-chan as well, which Heidi tried to shield her from. She sees herself getting pregnant with Umi and seeing the child's future. Her daughter Umi-chan inherits her power to see the future and even use the sacred tree on top of the mountain to travel through time and to alter reality by using people's memories. Worst of all, Heidi and Shiroha occasionally forget about Umi-chan's existence completely. Noticing that, they become more and more worried, as by that time they have grown so fond of her, that losing her would break both of them. In the end, both of them get together again as lovers, and umi vanishes completely one day. Heidi and Shiroha's life continue, but they both feel a deep sadness that they cannot comprehend. Yoh-chan. Towards the end of summer, the last wish Umi-chan made in her diary was to watch the fireworks together with mom and dad. At this point they don't remember Umi at all anymore, but feel the need to go watch the fireworks, even if they both don't really want to. Despite them having gotten very close in the past few days, they keep a little distance between each other as they watch, just enough for a child to fit in between, not really knowing why. Both of them stare at the fireworks with tears in their eyes, until they suddenly remember Umi-chan again. In that moment, she appears between both of them and holds both their hands. They hold her tight, fearing they might forget about her again, but Umi-chan just tells them that they do not have to worry and that she will be back. With that, she fades away, leaving only a glowing butterfly behind and slowly flutters towards the sky. Shiroha and Heidi try their hardest, but they can't prevent their memories from escaping. This leaves them happy together, as if Umi-chan never existed and their life goes on. Several years later Shiroha gets pregnant, and as they think of the name for the baby, both of them have the same name in mind, Umi. Months later, shortly before Umi-chan's birth, Shiroha experiences a vision about the future and immediately starts writing a letter to her unborn daughter. I am used to key novels being astonishing and well written. I am used to them having an ending that tears my heart out and leaves me emotionally stranded for days or weeks to come. I am used to riding Jun Maeda's emotional roller coaster for hours on end and questioning my life's meaning when I get off. By the time I completed the Alka route, I could not imagine any way to top off this experience. It can't all be amazing, can it? There was still one more route to go and I felt like I had been swept off my feet multiple times already. Immediately after the Alka root ending, I hit start on the final story of the game, plainly titled Pockets. A voice in a white light speaks. Its message is unclear, but it is an important one. The light disappears and the main character of the Pockets root wakes up in a forest. He is a child without memories. He does not know his name or where he is. Stumbling through the darkness, he spots a light and heads towards it. As he gets closer, he reaches a house with a chicken coop in the backyard. Entering the yard, he is spotted by a muscular and grumpy looking old man. What are you doing here? Comes the rough interrogation from the man. Seeing his height, the boy realizes he is a child. Not knowing anything about himself, he doesn't know what to answer. The man notices the child's fear and gets a little more friendly. He asks about his name and where he came from. The child only answers that he doesn't know and... the forest. It is late at night, so the old man lets him into his house. He will bring him to the police in the morning. Inside the house, the boy meets another person, a little girl with white hair and deeply sad eyes. Her name is Shiroha. She avoids the boy for the most part, but can't help being curious about him. He goes to sleep, but can't get a lot of rest. He knows he is here for a reason and that it involves this girl somehow, but he does not know what it is. It seems wrong for him to be sent to the mainland the next day. In the morning, the three have breakfast together. Shiroha does not speak a word, and the old man, who by that time has introduced himself as Naruse Kobato, takes the boy to the harbor to board the ferry to the mainland. His vision goes blurry as he walks the gangway to the ferry, so much so that he faints, and Kobato decides to take him back. Not knowing anything about the boy, he asks what he should call him now that he will stay here a while longer. The boy only remembers about crossing the seven seas leading Kobato to name him Nanami. Nana meaning seven, and me, sea or ocean. Being a fisherman, the old man leaves early in the morning every day to go out with his boat. That leaves Shiroha and Nanami alone for most of the day, and they eventually warm up to each other. Nanami keeps her company as much as possible, but avoids mentioning her parents. The day before, Kobato told him that Shiroha's parents both died a month before, and that the girl is still sensitive and suffering from it. As the two of them walk through a sunflower field, Shiroha remembers being displaced with her mother and breaks down crying. She eventually calms down and asks Nanami if he can help her with something. She wants to cook fried rice, but not just any fried rice. It has to be the same taste that her father used to make. He was a cook in the restaurant in town with fried rice being his specialty. Together, they set out to find the recipe and recreate the rice exactly like the one she ate in her past. After some smaller adventures and mishaps, they managed to recreate the rice to taste exactly like Shiroha remembers. Nanami's heart perks up as he sees the girl smiling for what is likely the first time in months. She is so happy and proud, because she can cook it now for her grandfather and packs him a portion. As he sees it, however, he is displeased, because she went to the restaurant. He forbade her to go there, fearing it would trigger bad memories. Shiroha starts to cry and runs away. Kobato does not step down from his opinion until Nanami gathers all his courage and stands up to the muscular giant in front of him. He explains to him about Shiroha's feelings her reason for cooking the rice, also about her need to talk about her parents and for someone from her family to be there for her. Kobato listens with a dark look on his face, but eventually his features soften as he realizes that Nanami is right. He didn't give Shiroha the support she needed and doubts that he can, so he humbly asks Nanami to be there for her in his stead. Near the end of the route, the summer festival is about to be held. The children have to prepare the lanterns that will be sent out into the ocean as a guide for the souls of departed. With Shiroha's parents' deaths being so recent, this is a particularly hard time for her, but Nanami stays by her side, just like he promised. When the time comes to go back to school for the lantern making, the teacher mentions the significance of the festival, but stops herself as she happens to glance at Shiroha. The other students notice that and start mumbling about the death of Shiroha's parents. Nobody means any harm by that, but Shiroha runs away crying and only says to Nanami that she will go to the top of the mountain to see her mother again. This is where Nanami's memories return. He knows about Shiroha's power to see visions of the future and directly communicate with dead people's memories. She is aware herself, because her mother also had the power and she happened to inherit it. As they reach the mountain's peak with the sacred tree, Shiroha is about to use her power to travel back to a time where her mother and father were still with her. She wishes for it so dearly, that the Shichicho descend on her and she is engulfed by white light. Nanami, however, manages to convince her that life is still worth living, even if tragedies like that happen. As she steps away from the light and comes closer to Nanami, he backs away from her, not wanting her to touch him. He knows what will happen, but she catches him anyway and the truth behind the mysterious boy is revealed. Shiroha sees her own memories from the future, her husband Heidi and her daughter Umi. That is when she realizes that Nanami is Umi-chan. Umi traveled through memories so much and has never managed to alter the turn of events. She has lived countless lifetimes with her mother and father, but could never achieve the happiness she was looking for. Shiroha, her mother, wrote her a letter to prevent her from using her power to do that, but she didn't listen, so instead she came back as Nanami to her young mother to prevent her from awakening her own power. This however, would also mean that she would alter the future in a way that she would never have existed. Shiroha remembers everything. She knows what Umi is about to do and tries to change her mind. She pleads with all her heart to not leave her side. Even if her birth means her own death, Shiroha is willing to sacrifice everything for her daughter's happiness. Umi smiles as she fades away for the last time, using her power to leave only pleasant feelings in her mother's heart. A little while later, Shiroha awakens on the top of the mountain next to the tree. The flowers are withered and she has tears in her eyes. She does not know why, but she doesn't feel the need to return to the past anymore and leaves to go back home. Several years later, a boy named Takahara Haidi comes to the island for his summer break. As he rides around on his aunt's motorcycle, he runs out of gas and pushes the bike to the gas station near the harbor. He comes across a girl with white hair and is immediately captured by her beauty. Not wanting to come across as a weirdo, he hides his feelings and walks past her, his heart aching. Unbeknownst to him, the girl feels the same way. He spends his summer vacation without doing much, except organizing his late grandmother's storage shed. On his last day, He boards the ferry to the mainland and sees a girl standing on the docks looking towards the ocean. The ferry departs and an incredible urge to return overcomes him. He jumps from the ship and swims back to the harbour. The white haired girl is the first to meet him as he gets back on land and he introduces himself to her, which she happily returns. Later, as they both sit on the beach together, they notice a girl with pink hair standing in the shallow water and looking at them. She smiles softly, and is gone the next moment. Summer Pockets truly deserves the title of Masterpiece. It tells a marvelous story using humor and drama to its fullest, while still connecting even the smallest details in every route to an incredibly well-developed outcome. June Maeda's hands create life as they hit keys on the piano, I was so captivated by the soundtrack that I found myself often just listening to the music without progressing the story and reminiscing about the feelings I associated with each track. The voice acting and sound design also underline the impressive writing and coupled with the beautiful artwork establish an experience unlike any other. The island of Torishirojima is a place filled with secrets and mysteries, which it does not reveal to just anyone. Takahara Heidi came to this place at first to run away from his problems, but he discovered something far greater than he ever expected to experience. Seeing the sunset on the horizon over the sea and watching the glowing butterflies slowly flutter through the air, one can clearly imagine the memories they might be carrying. Just like every memory is precious, Our own summer vacations could hold moments, which we never want to forget. The greatest gift we can give is the gift of time. With this I am very happy that you are still listening and hope you enjoyed the podcast. I want to express my sincere gratitude to my dear friend Will Na for her support and the amazing VNR logo and art. This episode is dedicated to you. Check out her work at instagram.com slash willna.art that is w-i-l-n-a-a-h dot a-r-t I aim to release at least one new episode per month and would be happy to have you tune in again. Please subscribe to VNR to be notified when a new episode launches. My name is been Ive, and with that I say goodbye. Until next time.